Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really happy to have another returning guest. It seems every time we have a returning guest, they're an Olympian so far. So you'll recognize this guest as super best friend of the show. He was on episode 11. He competed in the 2016 Olympics. He's a CIS champion. He started Wico Bevo, and he started the MBVL, and we're going to talk about his finals right now. So welcome to the show, Ben Saxon. Thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to talking about uh, some more volleyball. Well, let's start with uh, the one on everybody's mind. Uh, the NBVL, you guys wrapped up not only your Vancouver and Calgary League, but you had a, a championship Canadian final. Uh, how did that go? First of all, maybe start with the idea of how do you had it to host it and what went into like the background of getting both teams in the same spot? Um, yeah, so it was hosted in, in Calgary at the Beach YYC. Uh, the facility there has been super um, gracious to us, sort of letting us use the entire facility every time we do the, the night. And so they, because they have been so generous um, to us, it, it made the decision pretty easy to host it there. Uh, as far as, as far as getting the athletes there, it, uh, it just, in my mind, it just needed to happen. So we, I uh, put crunch numbers around and put the, put the budget together to be able to fly the Vancouver team out so the NBVL flew the, the Vancouver team champion team out uh, to play the Calgary champions and and had the championship. Awesome, awesome. And what went into selecting the teams? Because a friend of the show, Alex Russell, told me to ask the controversial question that Whiskar was on the squad but didn't make the trip to Calgary. So how did the owners decide who was going to be the final roster? So it wasn't really the owners that decided it was the, the players. Um, Johnny is a new father, and so he, he actually couldn't uh, – sneak away for the one weekend because um, his wife is working in the hospital as a doctor. Um, That's a good reason. It's a good reason. Yeah, Johnny, Johnny couldn't actually make it. And so Jake got the call and, and he was happy to come out and play. Nice. So from your standpoint, uh, just to cover both leagues, expanding from, from Vancouver to Calgary this year must've been a challenge. So how was it finding owners and players this year? Did you find that the Vancouver group was ready to go? Like did all the owners choose to return? And then how did you find your Calgary ones? So we had actually four Vancouver owners return, which was uh, mobile volleyball stuff, natural solutions and uh, Dunbar cycles. And then there's two added this year. Um, and then in Calgary, it was a little difficult to find the four. But I, I have connections there, being being from there. My whole family lives there, um, so I had I had some help. And then once people realized it was going on, then then the athletes and the the owners that did uh, that did jump in right away were really supportive and helped me helped me a lot to find the rest uh, of the athletes and the owners and and really to get the the league off the ground in Calgary. They've just been so supportive of the league. It was it was awesome uh, this year to get to get things started. Now you guys did a great job on social media with your athlete combine and showing kind of went into it. So how many athletes actually played in your Calgary league this year? Um, in Calgary, there were four teams. And so each team consists of three players per gender. So that uh, is six per team. So um, 24 players. And what went into recruiting them? Cause it looked like there was some pretty high level athletes there, right? Uh, I know a lot were maybe a little bit more famous for their indoor accomplishments, but it looked like the, the level was good in both leagues. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we do have a draft process. Uh, so each of the four owners, it went through a snake draft, uh, figuring out what the teams were. And so they draft their six players per team. Uh, the men drafted with the women at the same time. And so the combine happened in, in late November and, 
from the, that pool of players at the combine, the, the owners were able to sort of watch watch the players there and and decide who they wanted to recruit to their team in yeah the snake draft format. So actually at the draft there were about uh, I think there were 24 men and 21 women in the Calgary the Calgary combine, and so from that the 24 players were recruited from those 45 athletes. There was 24 chosen. Nice. And any shout-outs you'd like to give anyone who really uh, raised the level this year that you enjoyed watching play? Well, I mean, the the player awards uh, in Calgary, we've already handed them out. So, like, my sister, Kemi, won the MVP in Calgary. And then, yeah, all the first-team All-Stars. But I'd particularly like to shout-out uh, Amanda Moppet, uh, Haley Funk, uh, for really helping me uh, with the management of the of the league in Calgary. And then uh, Mike Clark did all the video work there. And um, Mark Brown really helped with the website and with, uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many people I could thank and I would miss people if I just started listing them off one by one. But, but yeah, there's so, so many good uh, athletes there and players, but I, I should shout out um, Ali McKay for being the first two time, two time champion. The only person who is, who the returning player from Oveo who has won both, both championships. Uh, she's maybe the, the goat right now of the, the NBBL. Nice. That's definitely some bragging rights there. So looking at up and down the names, it looks like there, there was a lot of different uh, athletes coming. So there was people like Grant O'Gorman who were treating it a little bit like preseason, I'm guessing. Uh, there was the group from Pacific Elite who's kind of trying to make beach full time. So I'm sure the league was a good outlet for them. And then we got like former national team athletes, right? Like Jamie played in the Calgary League and some other top athletes. So with that many different athletes coming to one place, um, is that kind of the goal of what this league is supposed to serve is to create high-level beach volleyball for people who are you know, not only representing Canada, but also might be starting a family, like we mentioned Wiscar there and some other people. Like, how do we have so many people from different walks of life competing at this level? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not necessarily meant for, it wasn't necessarily created for the athletes like me who are traveling and competing internationally full-time, but it's for, for the people who want to get there or for the people who want to um, transition from that to back to living at home. Um yeah, people who want to compete locally, but at the highest level that they can compete. Um, so there's still so many super talented athletes all across Canada that just don't necessarily have the opportunity to play internationally. Um, and this gives them that outlet to to, uh, to be able to do that. And it's for yeah anyone who's good enough, basically. Well, while I've got you on the show, I mean, I, I did say thank you, hopefully through a text or when I saw you in person, but I would like to thank you on air for letting Toronto be a part of it. And uh, we, we used your format to a T. We couldn't be a part of the NBBL just because I think we, we were shorter week season. We didn't have the same like combine. Our league was drafting pairs instead of individuals. So, I mean, as far as a branding standpoint, it just didn't make sense to kind of cloud what the NBBL was doing, but I still felt like we were part of it. And I think the Toronto league, I had a blast. I think the players all enjoyed it. And similar to what I'm hearing about your story, our league couldn't have functioned without the relationships, right? Like without the club stepping up to be owners, without uh, Ontario volleyball, helping out with the refs and the assignments and, and sending quality refs and even beach blast to give us a venue. So it sounds like your league and our league are very similar that just the volleyball community is kind of what's making this happen right now. Yeah, and I mean, I'd like to go more in depth with you about uh, about how the the league ran out there. Um, but uh, and I'd also like to be able to bring Toronto in as a full a full member city of the the NBBL full league. 
um, that we can maybe get like an East finals and the West finals going on somehow and <laughs> get things going like that. Like to collaborate a little closer. And then, yeah, even have the teams arrive early to like Van Open or something and play it out for keeps or something. I think there's got to be a way to do this or, or just find a sponsor that we all meet in one spot and make it happen. But uh... that's the, that's the big thing is trying to get, uh, trying to get the big sponsors. So if you're out there, <laughs> yeah no our league was great i think uh with us being toronto based and w- with my role with volleyball canada i think naturally it was easy to recruit athletes who were going to compete internationally so for us to have a four-week season that was kind of the goal with a bunch of teams ready to travel so um our league maybe some names were more familiar just because they are currently playing beach for canada but we also had some athletes like even the the team who won on point beach volleyball two great guys in kevin ben and mark gatto who are not representing canada we did to show that they could play at this level we had uh andrew coker and andrew richards and i'm sure some fans of the show will recognize who aren't playing beach full time but the the one thing that coker told me that i thought was super interesting that in a tournament format maybe he can't compete with the beach guys because he's not competing full time but you do one match a night and it's anybody's game who can play volleyball at a good level right so that was kind of yeah. kind of cool to see I think the only thing that, that I would like to look back on and find a way is just to get more kids watching. Like we got family and friends there. I think Beach Blast was very supportive about getting us courts. And like I mentioned, the OVA was great. Uh, Galaxy, Phoenix, Side, and On Point were amazing owners to work with. It's just, I, I wish we could have got more people to watch. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, uh, comes from the, the promotion of the, the players and whatever the clubs and stuff. Cause we, we actually in Calgary ended up getting quite a few kids out, uh, some of the nights, because the players are coaches of club teams and stuff and they ask their kids to come out and watch and it's it ends up it ends up bringing bringing more kids out and uh yeah and they have have a good time watching some people that they can look up to um and try to try to emulate in future years Awesome. Yeah, that, that's good to hear. So for us, yeah, we're definitely interested in being around next year. We're a bit challenged that uh Beach Blast is relocating, so they've lost the uh, facility we were in last year. So if they can find another indoor one, maybe we'll have an in. But uh, luckily with Toronto, we could hopefully call up North Beach or Downsview and find some more indoor courts. But I'm wondering if that's the next step uh, to call you, the commissioner, if there's another community listening, if they have access to indoor beach courts, what would be the steps or the bid process to have their own NBVL in their town? I mean, yeah, it's going to come down to having someone be able to commit, first of all, to... uh, to managing uh, something like that, like like you did in Toronto this this year, and um, but then also the ability to bring in the owners and athletes, like have that connection to to athletes and um, companies or people that are are well connected with the volleyball community that are willing to step in and and take charge of a of a team uh, to be able to a team or four <laughs> to be able to. Uh, meet the minimum criteria that uh, that is needed to be able to run a full season of the, of the to run a full NBVL season. Um, but yeah, I'm looking at places like, like Winnipeg. So if you're, if someone from Winnipeg is listening out there and has, has those connections and you want to reach out, then uh, I'd, I'd love to get, because I know there's a nice facility out there that I'd love to get uh, some league action going out, out of. And yeah, Toronto, obviously I'd, I'd love to make a full part because I know that that uh, there were some people interested in having Toronto um, maybe play a little bit more and, and and be part of it, like people in Vancouver as well as people in, in Toronto. People, I, The people who are following this, 
the uh, the league want to see it spread all the way across the country. Well, that's good. Hopefully, that's a timely shout out to Winnipeg. We just had Scott Koski on the show, who's like Mister Manitoba Volleyball, along with some other big names. So, hopefully, with uh, having him on the show, we drew some more listeners from that province, and they can start to get the wheels spinning because. Yeah, if we can find a facility, I, I can comfortably say that we're going to do our best to get everybody back. And like I said, our owners were fantastic, so hopefully they want to be a part of it. And then we're, we're a little bit at the mercy of the FIV schedule of recruiting players that I have close contact to. But to be honest, there's there's so many good players in Ontario that I'm sure we could fill a league and, and just give it a go if, if we don't have the Beach National Team playing. So I think, uh, yeah, you're like you said, the relationship with finding players and owners is probably the biggest thing. Yeah, and that's yeah that's the, been the key to why I was able to do it uh, in Vancouver and Calgary is because I had those connections in both places. And then once, once it got going in Calgary and the, there were the, the base number of people uh, like they were craving a, a beach community. Um, and so this is the perfect outlet for Calgary to build their, their beach community off of. And which is why the people, the players and everyone involved in Calgary was so, so keen to help out. And they did such a good job in their first season. Uh, to catch right up to and be able to host the the finals for the full the full event is that what makes it worth it for you is just being uh with the community and kind of sharing this experience with so many people because i mean you're you're newly married you're a professional athlete who could you know be using the all the time you put into organizing the league towards your own training or towards your own your family commitments so what did you feel like you got out of this experience with running two leagues i know you mentioned you got a lot of help but even i was messaging you about formats the first time we went to overtime just to figure it out so i'm sure you had a lot to do so kind of what do you enjoy most about this experience I mean, I do, I do really enjoy the, um, the, I'm seeing the enjoyment that other people have from it, but I, I'm also very much, um, a student of the game and they, I really like the strategic part of it. So I wanted to build something that I can sort of see other people learning as it goes as well. Uh, so when, when I started it, it was more sort of, how can I build something that people will enjoy? Um, and, and then I really love just seeing people play with the format and come up with new ways to win, um, figure out uh, how to draft your team the best so that you're the most balanced rather than trying to just overload one team and, or see some, some teams did try that to just overload one team and, uh, see if someone can take it. If one having one super strong women's team can win it, win it for you or one super strong men's team or all that, but yeah, just all the different strategic ways to go about it gives me the most enjoyment uh in doing all of this but but yeah i mean i don't know there's so many different things that i really like about it and every time i come out i i run a night or see see the games happen and see such a competitive environment it it makes it worth it for me to uh to do all of it awesome awesome so once again, thank you for being the leader and getting this organized, but also thanks to the Calgary, Vancouver owners and the Toronto owners and all the players. That's It's a great second season, I feel like. I don't want to speak for you, but I think for me, watching it from a distance last year and being a part of it this year, I think it's, it's a great format. Um, it's great to hear that you got kids watching and some other people in the community out, so we'll have to face that challenge, but uh, hopefully we just see it's bigger and better every year from now on. Yeah, I mean, as long as it keeps growing and if it can grow to more cities, um, then there will be more of an audience and and more people to tell other people who will tell other people, and it'll it will grow um, incrementally that way, just by just by word of mouth, hopefully, and then 
the promotion that we do will will help spur that along as well. Nice. So just to segue on on your last point there about being involved in the community, but also being a student of the game, is that what attracted you to helping train Pacific Elite? Because again, looking at like all the hours in the day and what you have to commit to, it, it doesn't seem like you're the type of guy who wants to, you know, coach at eight in the morning. But when those guys came calling, was it an easy decision to go kind of have a group of guys that you could train? I, I think Zay told me they're going twice a week, maybe three times a week. So what got you roped into helping out that group? Um, yeah, it's been twice a week, and I've been working on growing the, the community and the elite atmosphere for the last few years with with Wico Bebo. Um, so this this the fact that there were a bunch of guys that were ready to um, to commit to training full time and to do all the to do all the work to to getting towards that like that spoke to me as an as an athlete who when I started needed a lot of help and so. I'm happy to give help to people who are willing to do the work. And that's that's who these guys are. They epitomize that. They're just guys who want to come in and work hard and learn learn how to be as good as they can be. And so I really it spoke to me and I wanted to I wanted to help out and be a part of that and let them let them know that they're supported when because uh, that's often the most important thing for new for new athletes is to know that you're supported and that someone has your your best interest at heart and someone wants to see you succeed with uh pacific elite imagine some cool stuff's happened since we had zade on the show so he mentioned uh they were getting ready at this time to go to cook island so there's already been uh i believe him and warsaw went to cook islands they're going to play some other international events i believe there's going to be some women training with the group so kind of what do you see with that group growing is, is it there more opportunity to allow athletes into that group when they go outside and more people are maybe available to train full-time because of uh, post-secondary commitments or whatever it may be. Like, how do you see like a, a full-time training center happening in Vancouver? Because if VC doesn't give the nod, it seems like you guys have started your own. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've always been more of the, if you want something then do it yourself <laughs> type of mentality. Yeah. Cause I mean, I feel like that's often the better way to do it because because athletes um, who are motivated enough will find a way uh, to make something work. So if they're building it themselves, and I, I feel like that's the best way to learn anyway, is find the things that work for you, find the coaches that you like, find the the methods of training, find the locations that you like the best. Like everything that goes into it just adds to comfort level, which makes training easier, more fun. Um, so I I actually do really like the process that they're going through of learning all this stuff, um, teaching themselves all this stuff because it'll, it'll stick a little longer if you teach it to yourself than if someone's just telling you all the time, because sometimes that can get a little bit, um, draining, just having the same person tell you the same thing over and over and hope that it sticks rather than you learn a life. You, you do it and learn it your, on your own, then you're, it's going to stick <laughs> a life. It's a life lesson that will, will stick. I don't know if that answered your question, but I just sort of started rambling. <laughs> no, all good. All good. So uh, before we switch over to your career uh, and your upcoming season, if somebody's kind of piqued an in interest and they want to be involved in the MBVL or Wico Bevo, is the best way just to, I don't know, check out social media, so either the Facebook or the Instagram account and shoot a message that way? Or what's the best way if somebody wants to be involved and doesn't really know where to start? Because it's it's one thing to want to own a team, but I imagine there's other roles that they could help uh just get involved in, in different ways in all the projects you're doing. Um, yeah, for sure. There's 
yeah, like you said, the, the Instagram and the Facebook page, uh, the Instagram is NBV league. And then the Facebook is just NB slash NBVL or something like that. Just search NBVL on Facebook. <laughs> and then, uh, there's also, you can email me anytime at, uh, league at NBVL.ca. Beauty. Thank you. So hopefully we've piqued some interest. So, um, two things I wanted to follow up with you, uh, uh, right off the bat here is we do recently had Garrett May on the show and for anyone who didn't hear that episode, I'd recommend they go back. But one thing that was super interesting that he said is he really enjoyed when Grant O'Gorman was in Toronto and they would train because he found Grant was a guy who was going to just be prepared, be professional every practice, but also battle, like get to the point where things are intense, guys are going at it through the net, like people are there to work and, and Grant's going to call you out if you're not there to work. So I'm wondering with you being uh, with Grant now in Vancouver and you guys are obviously training full time together, what, what is uh, Grant kind of influenced or what have you seen from him in practice when you guys paired up? Um, yeah. I mean, he is that guy who will, who will come to battle every single practice come to, he wants to win every single drill and every single thing. Um, and it's, it's great. It does pick up the, the level for both of us. It is a little contrasting with my style, which is more of a, a laid back, um, focus on things, but not necessarily be the loudest guy or the <laughs> yell, yell all the time. So it, it's been a bit of a, the last, I mean, now we're, we're in, we know each other well enough that we come come onto the court and it's, um, there's comfort there. But at first there was a, a lot of like, he'll, he'll yell all the time and I'm just sort of shy away from it a little bit, but was also expected. I'm expected to be the leader, but he's yelling all the time and it's kind of, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there was a little bit of uh, awkwardness for the first little while, but yeah, we're, we're comfortable with each other now that, uh, that practices are fun because yeah we, we're both competitors we both like to compete but just in different different ways um we show it in different ways nice and what would, what advice would you give to a beach pair about leadership because i think uh most of the media that you'll find about leadership is people usually leading team sports like football you're responsible for like 50 guys it seems like hockey's a big dressing room where in beach volleyball it's it's just you and your partner right so maybe you don't need all that shouting or rah-rah stuff that you you mentioned isn't a big part of your game so how would you express being a leader and a, and a high level beach volleyball player yeah well i'm a big fan of you're in a pair you're a team and so you should both contribute equally to the team um i don't think there needs to be necessarily one specific leader for the whole team i think um one person can take the lead in certain scenarios and it's, it's more about finding those, those spots to say something important rather than feel like you need to be the guy who's in charge all the time. It's fine. Yeah. Finding the, the times, the right times to be a leader rather than expecting to be the leader all the time. Nice. And, and the second thing I wanted to follow up with you on is uh, now that Alex Russell's moved to Toronto to train full time and be a next gen athlete with the beach team. Um, when I said I was going to talk to you on the show today, he mentioned to ask about your focus and preparation and practice. Cause that was one thing he noticed uh, when he was training with you was there, there's always a purpose to practice. There's always a focus that he didn't feel like anything was ever a waste of time or you wouldn't do a drill unless there was a specific outcome like you were trying to achieve. So with your coach Christian and your partner Grant, what do you, look for when you're either contributing to practice or even taking care of your own duties and your preparation and everything like that? Um, yeah, I mean, it will be different every single practice and 
usually when Christian is there, we will let him him guide the the focus a little bit more. But uh, when it's just us two, we'll try to we'll try to talk about it a little before each practice and say, hey, what are what are you hoping to work on today? And um, figure out something rather than just go in and and play each time. It's got to be there's got to be some reason why you're going out because if you're going out just to just to hit the ball around, then you're not necessarily going to come out better than you were when you started the practice. Um, and that's that's sort of the goal of your practice is to be a little bit better than you were before you started. So looking ahead to this season, how are you and Grant feeling? And, and what's going to be your first event? Like, uh, I, I don't want to complain too much, but in Toronto, the weather hasn't been nice enough for us to be outside. Are you BC guys outside already? And uh, how, how's the preseason been for you? Um, we're kicking ourselves a little bit because a couple of weeks ago, there was it was sunny every day and we probably could have gone outside. It was like 10, 10 plus degrees. But uh, this last week has been a little rainy, so we're it's not... Uh, not ideal outside temperature yet, but it, there's definitely not snow on the ground, so it, it could be a, a, a uh, could be a moment by moment call that we we could sit and, and wait, but we we just go inside for now because we're not sure of the weather. But uh, we're planning this weekend. We're heading to California for a couple weeks, and then we're, our first event will be Cancun for start. Nice. And California seems to be a popular destination. So you're obviously experienced and you've, you've made those connections, but uh, for somebody listening to the show who just thinks like, Oh, we go to California and you just know who to train with. How do those connections actually get made? Like when, how far in advance do you know you're going to practice with this team on this court? Like um, how open are some of the international teams, especially the Americans to training with Canadians when you guys choose to have these outdoor training camps? Yeah, well, so it does, it does come from connections. And so the first year that, that I ended up basically moving to California with Kane. Um, that was 2013. Uh, we, I had been playing with Christian the last couple of years and had had a decent connection with uh, Jake Gibb, and they lived in Huntington, and none of the other teams lived in Huntington, so it actually ended up working really well. That Kane and I got to practice with Jake and Casey Patterson um, almost every other day. Um, but it's it's not always that easy. It it would be it is good to um, to sort of get to know some of the the athletes to to train with. But there's also if you're a high level developing athlete, then um, I think P fourteen forty is the people to connect with right now uh, because they they've been pretty open to having some of the Canadian players come down before, before NCAA uh, training and, and all that. So they're, they're pretty open to development training. I'd say P1440 is the, the right people to ask, and they're, they're doing a good job with their development stuff right now. Nice. And when you and Grant looked at uh, planning your schedule and with the Olympics kind of being the spotlight this year and planning points and results and all that good stuff, um, how far in advance do you like to plan or do you guys like to kind of see how things are going in terms of where are you on the Olympic ranking list? Are you in the main draw? Like how much of a, a season prep have you guys done? Um, I mean, it's, it's tough with, uh, things that are going on in the world right now, but, uh, <laughs> sometimes with some cancellations and whatnot, but we, we, uh, as soon as the schedule came out, we sort of roughly, said hey this is this is our our goals and this is where 
like you look at points a little bit, like when will we be in main draws? Will we be in qualifiers? Um, it it kind of all comes into effect. But yeah, as soon as the schedule comes out, we look at it and do our first sort of rough draft. This is what we want to play. As we get closer, we fine tune in a little more and a little more. Um, but yeah, generally a couple months out, we have a good idea of what we want to play. And then when a virus takes out three events, then we alter it a little bit more. Yeah, it, it's very interesting. We just heard from one of our teams in Doha, and they mentioned that other countries aren't able to even get into the country right now based on whatever their home situation is. So basically, teams who were on the entry list haven't been able to get through the border, which is disappointing, especially in an Olympic year. So it, it sounds like even when the events go, there's still some uncertainty, which is too bad, but hopefully that gets sorted out quickly here. With you being an experienced athlete where you were part of the continental qualifier for the London games, obviously you qualified through the top 15 for 2016. Is every cycle a little bit different or are you able to draw on your experience to kind of know where you're at going into the 2020 games here? So I, I think I touched on this the last time we talked is I don't try to focus too much on Olympic cycles. I want to go in and play every tournament as well as I can play. So I basically, I train for, this season so that I'll be in the best shape to last the entire season and be as try to be as good at the start of the season as I am at the, at the end of the season. And I mean, if you're good enough, you'll, you'll qualify for the Olympics. Um, so I feel like being part of the thinking of it in cycles doesn't necessarily, um, benefit too much, but trying to be as good as you can be and, and beat the team, beat teams when you are good enough to beat teams, then, uh, that will be, the best method going forward is try to win win games, be as good as you can every tournament. Nice. And and the last time you and I spoke when you were in Toronto, I, I mentioned one of the, the youth athletes who's working with you. So they got really good at blocking because they were working with you. And that's obviously something you're world leading at. So I was wondering if you could give us any tips because when you and I spoke, um, blocking is kind of an undertaught skill, especially on the beach. Like as far as most people just take the call and that's the call, but there's so much cat and mouse games about, I don't, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm sure you have permission to clamp if the ball's tight or you can make different decisions versus, oh, I called line, so I'm blocking line, right? So how long did it take you to kind of get comfortable and, and who was kind of a big influence for you to kind of help with this skill that is very complex? Because to me, blocking, you can do everything right and, and not get the result, right? So what was kind of key in your development? So I sort of built my blocking style with my dad. He, he helped me a lot. Um, he was one of the best blockers indoor when he played, um, a world-leading world leading blocker when he was playing indoors back in the 84 Olympic team and all that. Um, and so he's always had a very keen interest in blocking and especially blocking in, in Canada. Um, and like you say, in Canada, there's not very much as far as blocking coaching. There's not very many people who spend a lot of time on the specifics of blocking. Um, in other countries, they do have those coaches that do, do see that very well. But yeah, in Canada, it's, it's an undertaught skill, I think. And um, I was very fortunate to have one of the people who spent a large focus on it in my corner. And so he, he's done a lot of research and he would show me pictures of Phil and, and, uh, and uh, Alison and Ricardo and Reckerman and all those, the best blockers at the time. And he'd be, he would study all of that uh, with me. Uh, he brought, brought it all to my attention and he'd be like, all right, Phil, he always starts wide but closes in. Uh, Reckerman's the opposite where he always starts with his hands narrow and goes wide. Uh, all the, he's 
So we worked on every single sort of style of blocking and tried to just find the way that fits best for me and where I can read the best. Like, is it good? Sometimes I'll, is it to figure out the best situations to do, do every type of block. And I mean, I'm still not an expert. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm a terrible blocker some days and some days I feel like I'm great, but it's because it's not an exact science. It's going to depend on who's hitting against you and what you can figure out about them as well. But uh, yeah, I think all that work I did with my dad just on blocking uh, helped me a lot. And I hope that I can pass it on as well as he did to me. Nice. So you mentioned kind of looking at other athletes styles and seeing if that's going to work for you. So the, the hands thing stands out right away that you would look for that, but how important is footwork as well to be like a high level beach blocker where we've had some Trinity Western and some other U sport athletes on and talk about blocking where I think the eye sequence is big for them and kind of reading what the setter is going to do and then making a decision afterwards on the beach. When you know, you're alone, you're in a one-on-one battle with the hitter. Uh, how important is the lineup or the front or maybe showing the misinformation and all the little things that go into it? Mm-hmm. I, I try to always, um, I mean, I want to look the same as much as possible. Uh, or if I don't look the same, if I'm doing something specifically to throw someone off, I want it to look the same as something else that I, that I also do. So I, no matter what body position that you're in, I think it's important to have different options from that body position. So like whether you're fronting, whether you're fronting the person or you're taking a step to the side to be able to, um, from the front, be able to block gin and block line, go straight and block, um, normally like reach into the angle. You should be able to have all of those options from a front position. You should be able to have all those options from a, a step inside position, have all those options from everywhere. But basically to be able to look the same and do something different is, is probably the toughest skill for, for a blocker. Awesome. That's definitely great stuff. Thank you. Um, one question we've asked people who have played uh, at a high level at a young age, it was just wondering how did you progress from being like a little bit starstruck maybe when you were on tour? Like, was there anyone you looked up to and you're like, wow, I can't believe I'm here. Or did you feel like you were a peer on world tour right away where you were there to compete and that's just how it was going to be? Um, yeah. I mean, Phil probably is the most, the person who I was the most starstruck by. And like my first event with Christian, uh, we played against a couple teams, but we played uh, Harley and Tiago once, and I think I got like seven or eight blocks in that match and felt really good about it, even though we lost. And then after in the elevator, Phil walked into the elevator. He's like, I watched your game. Great blocking, man. And I was like, wow, Phil saw me, and like he thought I was good. Um, yeah, and then uh, and now – like I've been to California so often and trained with Phil all the time. And like, we talk about survivor cause we both love that show. And <laughs> I feel like Phil and I are like friends now. And it's, <laughs> it's kind of a neat thing to think about that. I used to, I mean, I still look up to, to Phil. He's still one of the best blockers in the world. Uh, yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing to be able to become friends with one of your heroes and just to be able to, to hang out and feel comfortable with that, with that. Did you ever tell him that story? Like, does he know that you looked up to him that much? Um, I think I did. I don't remember if I have or not. But he's not a very reactionary person. So even if I did, then I don't know if he would have <laughs> been uh, interested in it. <laughs> 
Awesome. Uh, another question I want to check in with you. I'm a, I've become a pretty big fan of this podcast. Uh, I don't know if you've ever, if you watch Quinn Richardson and Darius Miles play basketball, but they have their own basketball podcast now. And one question they always ask is like, when you first arrived on scene, like who was one guy that just absolutely kind of slapped you down? So I was wondering with your level of experience on beach, was there just one player that it took a few tries before you got used to it, that they were just so skilled or gave a different look, or you just couldn't figure out how to stop them when you were on tour? On tour? I probably, but when you said that, the the first person that uh, came to mind was Chris Simic. <laughs> um, so he's an old Canadian Canadian player. Uh, for people who don't know, well, he's not that old. He's my age, but yeah, no, definitely. Uh... <laughs> he, he used to play for Canada. I mean, um, <laughs> but yeah, he uh, he was playing. Him and Paul Putzaka, I think, had just started uh, making some main draws and all that, and. And uh, I had just started, I think I was 17 years old, playing playing against him. And then, uh, so I played him four or five times at this point at national championships and in qualifiers on on uh, satellites and challengers. So the last time that I played him was at a national championships, and I think we lost 16-14 in the third or something. And then afterwards, that, that evening, I was like, man, we're getting, getting a little closer. I almost had you that time. And then he was like, you will never beat me. That's what he, that's what he told me. He's like, you will never beat me. And I was like, oh. And then uh, he stopped playing, so I never did. <laughs> In knowing Chris, I can totally picture him saying that. So, yeah, that, that's true. So what part of his game made it so challenging for you to get a win off him? Well, I mean, he was just like a really explosive, explosive player. And, um, I mean, I was still pretty new. I think... I think I would have <laughs> at some point, but uh, but yeah, he never gave never gave me the opportunity. So he's always got that over me. But uh, yeah, he was just an explosive guy. I was still pretty new um, to the sport and hadn't, uh, and he was yeah a fiery guy that that would talk under the net a lot as well. And so that kind of would always rattle me a little bit because um, yeah, at that stage I wasn't that used to people. Um, chatting that much and and being good enough to back it up because yeah when when you're a kid and kids talk under the net all the time it's usually like okay yeah they're just they're just talking but he was someone who could talk and back it up um and yeah it was i didn't know how to how to handle that at uh, at first now how common is that on tour because uh in my experience i just have a sense that once you climb the ladder a little bit it becomes less common where i coached college at george brown and and college the the whole match people are talking and it kind of gets annoying but at the university level it happens less and my experience on tour maybe i'm just too far from the court when i'm coaching is just i don't notice it that much so how, how frequent does that happen on world tour when people are actually getting after each other a little bit um it does happen there's there's a few players who who want it to happen um and like you you can see it you can see it openly from someone like a K, casey patterson he, he talks a lot and he's um I find it really fun these nowadays to, to play those guys who talk a lot because I, I find it fires fires me up now. But um, yeah, like a Casey Patterson, uh, Pedro Solberg, he, he gets into it quite a lot. Um, like an Alex Forrest is he's he tends to get into it. He's fun. He's fun to watch and play against. Yeah, there's there's a few players that uh, that will do it. But yeah, it's in general, it's mostly people are trying to. Um, trying to be skilled enough to win and and uh they don't always have the 
Like they don't want to say something and not be able to back it up. <laughs> Is that what switched for you or it stopped bothering you and you actually started to enjoy it because you knew that they've kind of put a spotlight on themselves and they've drawn a lot of attention where now you just have to kind of play your game and be confident. And if you shut them down, you know, they're going to fold up a little bit. Those players feel like they need to talk about it, but if in order to get extra points, but if they didn't have that talk then they wouldn't have the skill. Right. And so the people who don't talk, I feel like are more intimidating to me because yeah, they're like, I'm, I'm going to beat you with my skill alone. It's I'm, I'm that good that I don't need to talk. Nice. Nice. That's a good way to look at it. All right, Ben, we've taken a lot of your time. We've covered some some big chunks here. And obviously, the more I hear about the uh, NBBL, the more I like it. So we'll have to have you back on maybe as a lead-in next time. But uh, one little tradition we've kind of liked to start on the show is just a funny story or a unique experience from the road. So last time was uh, definitely a crowd favorite. I wondered if you could share another one before we let you go. Um, yeah, so this one is going to be a little more a little more tame than, uh, than the last story I shared. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I have one from at the Olympics, or, so with, uh, with Jason and, and Kane. Um, so when, when you get there at the Olympics, they give you your whole Olympic package, and you get, like, clothes and shirts and tops and bottoms and shoes. Um, so the shoes that we got for the Olympic package is actually, it's basically like a sole plus socks. <laughs> so there, there's zero support there. So they're... It's kind of funny that they're not athletic shoes um, for for an Olympic event where um, everyone is athletes and you'd expect to get athletic shoes, but they're just just comfort shoes. But they look like athletic shoes because they're like the Adidas sort of. Um, yeah, they're they're nice, comfortable shoes, but yeah, they're like you're wearing socks, so there's no ankle support there. You turn your ankle all the time when you're walking in those shoes, and so. We went to uh, the tournament. There's To get to the village, uh, it was a 40-minute bus ride, 40-minute to an hour bus ride, and the buses came like once every hour. So you really didn't want to miss the bus. Um, so there's one day that we're, we're running. This was the day after we finished the tournament, uh, where we're all running towards the bus. Um, or the, bu- the bus is there, and it's about to leave. We're, we're almost late for the bus, and it's raining, and we're all... We're all like, oh, we need to catch the bus. Came and Jason start sprinting. I was like, I'm not going to run. I'm going to roll my ankle. And they're like, you're going to miss the bus. And then came right in front of me on the cobble cobblestone uh, sidewalks there. He, he uh, steps on a stone wrong, trips, bails super hard, sprains his ankle. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, right after I said, I'm not running in these shoes, <laughs> he does, and he hurts himself. And it's, uh, <laughs> it's just a – and it's not a – it's not that uh, crazy a story, but it's just something that uh, you'd think that Olympics would give <laughs> the Olympic uh, package would give people athletic shoes. Yeah, you think at that phase that you would leave nothing to chance versus like trying to increase it. How how long before your first match did that happen? Oh, this was after this was right after our last match. Oh, thank goodness. Okay. <laughs> all, throughout, all throughout the week, like there's because you you got a bunch of athletes in the athlete village all the time, so we've got. Uh, there's all these people are playing little competitions. There's a, a tennis court in the athlete village. So people are taking a volleyball out and playing tennis with a volleyball where you use volleyball moves, but you get a bounce. Um, so we're, we're teaching all the other athletes in there to play, to play volleyball. And then uh, like every step anyone takes, like someone rolls an ankle, but doesn't, doesn't sprain it. But so everyone's like, 
It's like, all right, I probably shouldn't play in these shoes. I still have to compete tomorrow. <laughs> just all these, all these, uh, yeah, people almost, I wonder how many people almost got injured because of these shoes that they're rolling their ankles in that, that were given by the, <laughs> by the Olympic committee. Yeah. Just a question as an outsider, are you required to wear those as like your athletic kit? Like, did you have to wear them when you were out walking around? Yeah, generally in the village uh, and at the ceremonies and all that stuff, you're supposed to wear uh, the Olympic package. Um, yeah, you're not. You're not. They. It's deeply frowned upon to wear anything else uh, that's not on on brand. Amazing. I mean, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So that's a good one. So yeah, just to wrap up, we covered uh, MBBL, just awarded their their first major champion. So last year you started in Vancouver, and now Vancouver and Calgary got to battle it out. I mean, there's got to be an asterisk beside that because Toronto didn't get to participate, but uh, that'll happen next year, hopefully. Uh, yeah, well, when Toronto's willing to run the full two-month season, then... Uh... <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I would like to. I just... We're, we're player-centered. Maybe that's my cop-out, is the players weren't available. I don't know what to say. But, uh, you know, that's great. You gotta... We can get the players. We'll work on it this year. We'll get you in. I think that's the way to go but uh yeah you're doing great stuff with Eco vivo and obviously you got your season about to start so good luck as you guys head outside for your last training camp and then uh we'll be sure to pay attention to cancun and everything beyond yeah sounds good thanks josh awesome thanks for joining us yeah no worries thanks for listening if you've made it this far you're clearly a friend of the show as a friend of the show we'd love to connect with you please follow passing dimes on instagram if you think we've earned it please give us a five-star rating We'd love to connect with you. Please leave a comment. That could be a good old-fashioned, this show is awesome, you should listen to it. You could ask for future guests. Like if I were to leave a review right now, I'd say please get Sam Schachter, Melissa Himata-Paredes, or Stephen Marr. Or leave a question for a future guest like who their volleyball role model was or who's their favorite player to watch live. Most importantly, remember the nicest compliment you can give Passing Dimes is by telling your friends about the show. Stay excellent, friends.